Um, so for, for those of you who are able of ca to, to cast your minds back just a couple of years, you will remember that um, during the, the depths of the, the pandemic, we were um, uh, you know, treated to, to daily um, COVID briefings from the First Minister and from Gregor Townsend and from Jason Leach, and they would come out and they would... They would inevitably give us all the stats and all the figures and all the various bits and pieces, and then they would say something like, um, remember that, 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 that this virus is within your control. They would say something like, you know, you have the ability to control the spread of the virus. And, um, um, you know, we would regularly hear about how we would be able to, to, to control it. Um, and, and I always thought it was a kind of funny thing to say because it made it sound as if we could domesticate it or we could, you know, take it out for walks or, or, or just keep it as a wee pet somewhere. But in fact, we know that that wasn't true. And what I think she really meant was if you wash your hands and you wear a mask and you keep separate from people, then actually you have the capacity to stop the spread of this virus by undertaking these measures. It's not really that we can control the virus in any sort of meaningful sense, but actually we have at our disposal the means of being able to, to try and prevent others from catching it. And I think that that was right. But, but um, um, you know, it's interesting that the language that she used was very much, um, um, you can control coronavirus. And um, this idea of, of human control has been present throughout all of human history, has it not? You know, humanity has been determined um, to, to, to try and exert its control and exert its influence over nature. And, and, and perhaps um, we start with the very best of intentions, Perhaps we start with the very best of, 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 of kind of um, um, uh, goals or aims or, or, or whatever, but so often the things that we set out to try and achieve can so often bring about unintended consequences. Do you know there are some things in our world that no matter how hard we try, we have just never, ever really been able to master or control. So take, for example, the, the nuclear industry, something that started out with uh, um, trying to create um, images of broken bones and, 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 and all the advancements of medical science that have been achieved through the development of nuclear science and all these kinds of things. These things ultimately have become weaponized, haven't they? And we are now at an age and a stage, um, and we have seen over the past hundred years, we have seen that nuclear science has both brought a tremendous amount of good to our world, but also it has brought a tremendous amount of destruction and death and pain to our world as well. And we can live certainly with the premise of being able to control certain parts of our world or certain parts of creation, certain elements of what is, is going on with, the, with the, um, the nuclear industry and nuclear science and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is as well, on one hand, we can, we can image bones, we can, we can treat cancer, we can do all of that kind of good stuff. But then on the other hand, and maybe particularly today, we are living with the reality of constant impending nuclear disaster or nuclear war, aren't we? So on one hand, we've got something that's really good, but then that thing equally can be used for something that has got the potential to be deadly and to cause mass destruction. Do you know, equally, we think back to the, the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903 and the development of powered aircraft, and that brought a means of all of us being able to travel the world. 
Do you know the plane that you get on to go to your destination? Do you know certainly your pilot controls that, or you, you hope that he controls it? Do you know he's trained extensively for years in order to learn how to, how to fly it, how to get it up in the air, and then more importantly, how to land it? They're doing what they are paid to do. So planes have, have, have helped to expand our horizons. They've made the world smaller. They've given us opportunities to visit places that we maybe never would have thought possible before, but they have also allowed for greater and more creative ways of waging war. Do you know the same could be said for the internal combustion engine that provides all of us, or, or most of us, with a level of convenience? Do you know, it allows us to achieve much more in our day than we would otherwise be able to do. But it has also allowed for greater destruction and terror to spread all over our world during the last century to a greater degree than at any other point in history. And so humanity tries to work to exert its control over these things, but ultimately these things that we try and control can lead to, to, to deadly consequences. And I suppose what I'm really trying to say is that so often the things that humanity kind of develops or, or seeks to control for the benefit of all people these things can very often become the things that control us. These things can very often become the things that actually lead us to, to, to a place where we're living in, in fear of these things. Do you know? And, and despite all of this, despite all of our, our technological advancements, despite all of the, the science and all of the, 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 the stuff that goes into developing so much of the things that we take for granted, so many of the things that we enjoy at the moment, the one thing that we have never, ever ever been able to control with any degree of, of, of certainty or any degree of consistency is the weather. It doesn't matter what we have done or what we have tried. We have never been able to control the weather. Regardless of what we do, we are still at the mercy of our climate. Do you know, we are still at the mercy, do you know, particularly at the moment with, uh, with climate change. And we've seen over the past years, we've seen polar vortexes in Texas, we've seen wildfires, we've seen earthquakes, we've seen flash flooding, we've seen greater temper temperature fluctuations across the globe. Even this summer, we have experienced the reality of this, having seen the hottest summer on temperature ever. We have all of this science, all of this technology, all of this stuff at our disposal, and yet, in spite of it all, we still cannot control the absolute foundational building blocks of creation. Not with any great degree of consistency or accuracy. We are still subject to the weather conditions of our world. And yet, having said that, this morning, as we, re as we heard Tom read in that passage, this is exactly what Jesus did. We, you know, we, 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 um, um, I think over the coming weeks, um, um, you're looking at your focus group series and you're going to be looking at the ways in which, um, or some of the ways, in fact, actually, that Jesus displays some of his power throughout his life and his ministry. And, and you know, we, we, we don't look at this passage today and we don't hear Jesus controlling this storm in the way that we do. We don't read of Jesus' displays of, of power and authority and control over creation and control over sickness and, and, and death and all of this kind of stuff. We don't read of these things and just think that Jesus was some kind of wizard who was able to bend reality to, to his will. But actually, we are looking at this and we see that we are looking at the power of Jesus throughout the gospel. We're looking at the power of God displayed in Jesus to demonstrate the fullness of the God who created and sustains all of life and all of creation. 
you know, we're seeing more clearly the way in which we can glorify and honor and depend upon and love that God, as well as seeing more clearly the ways in which God demonstrates his love for us through these different instances. And so we want to, to, to turn um, specifically at the moment to look at our passage. And just in, in the context of our passage today, Jesus has spent um, much of his day teaching. Do you know, the crowds have gotten so big that Jesus has had to move out onto a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And then when evening comes, Jesus says to his disciples, actually, let, let's, let's go over to that other side of the lake. Do you know, let's go over there and let's, let, let's take a rest. We'll go over to the other side. And, and normally, for any of you who have ever been to Israel, for any of you who have ever been to see the Sea of Galilee, you will know that, that it spends much of its time totally smooth. It's like glass. Do you know, you, it doesn't even look like water. It's totally smooth. You know, but it's surrounded by hills and it's down in a wee bit of a valley. And so it's not uncommon for it to look totally smooth and totally calm one minute and then the next minute, all of a sudden, a storm breaks out. And the storms that break out in the Sea of Galilee are, are normally pretty violent. And we see that in verse 37. A furious storm rises up and waves are breaking over the top of the boat. And we can imagine at this moment that the disciples are clinging on for dear life. Do you know, the sails are in tatters. They're, they're just trying to keep themselves from drowning. It's all that they can do to keep themselves from going, from going overboard. Do you know, they're like a, like a, a, the boat's like a, like a cork bobbing about in the ocean. And in, in the midst of it all, in verse 38, what's Jesus doing? Snoring. He's sleeping, isn't he? And this is the very first thing to notice in this passage, that in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, Jesus is asleep. And he's doing so because he's tired. He's not doing so because he doesn't care. He's not got some miraculous capacity to sleep whenever you know, everybody else is panicking. You know, he's, he's doing so, he's sleeping because he's tired. In the way that all of us do. He spent his day teaching. He spent his day out in the heat. He's been exerting himself for a full day. He would have been exhausted. That kind of exhaustion that you feel when you've maybe been, been up for hours on end. Perhaps um, you've, been, you've been traveling, you've been coming back from holiday, or you're, you know, you've just got a newborn in the house. Do you know, and this shows us, do you know, Jesus being asleep in the midst of all of this stuff, Jesus being asleep shows us that Jesus was fully human. Do you know, some people would argue that, that, that Jesus is just God wearing this kind of funny sort of human costume. Do you know that he wasn't really human? That he didn't really need to do the things that he did. Instead, it was all just an act. That he wasn't, do you know, he was just pretending to be asleep here. That he wasn't really asleep. He was just closing his eyes. And this is one of the arguments for the, the, against the crucifixion. Do you know, Jesus wasn't really dead. He just sort of, um, do you know, um, put on an Oscar-winning performance to say that, do you know, he just closed his eyes and, 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 and he wasn't really dead. And he just kind of fell asleep and then he woke up a couple hours later. Do you know, it's all nonsense. But what we see here is that Jesus was asleep he wasn't pretending to be asleep. He actually was asleep because Jesus' exhaustion is the only explanation as to why he was asleep in the midst of a violent storm. And for Jesus to be totally exhausted means that he was totally human. You know, because God would not have formed and created all of the world as he did in seven stages and then thought, oh, I'm going to go and have a wee snooze in a boat. Do you know, he just wouldn't do it. 
But actually what we see here is that Jesus is fully human. He's fully asleep. He's fully kind of out of it at this point because he's exhausted. And so we've got Jesus' humanity on display completely and utterly. And then a couple of verses later, we're going to see his full um, divinity on display as well when he calms the storm. But before we come to that, it's important to notice that the storm in this passage has a role and has a function to play. Now, perhaps some of you will be, uh, um, uh, you know, drawn parallels with the account of Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, and he, he ran away from God, and he was got on this boat to Joppa, and as he did so, his, uh, um, his boat was caught in this storm. And in Jonah 1, um, it's clear that God sent the storm that Jonah was caught up in to demonstrate his power to Jonah. God sent that storm so as to remind Jonah and to say to him, you are not in control, here I am, and I'm going to show you just how much I am in control by making you fear for your life. That's what I'm going to do. And so he also wanted to demonstrate to Jonah that, that he could not run from God. And so, whilst God sent that storm in Jonah chapter 1, we don't quite get the same sense in this chapter, in this, uh, these uh, verses in Mark chapter 4. We don't quite get the sense that the storm was sent by God, but it serves nonetheless to demonstrate to the disciples exactly who was in control because it demonstrates to the disciples exactly where the power in this situation lies because the storm here was essential to the formation and the development of the disciples growth and to their spiritual formation the storm was the means by which God would make clear his truths to them because without this storm, the disciples perhaps would never have had the opportunity to experience God's provision in the face of fear and in the face of certain death. Without the storm, the disciples perhaps wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience and to see demonstrated the power and the authority of God in real and concrete ways. Without the storm, the disciples would perhaps never have grown into the people and the men that they were going to become. That is, men who acknowledged and fully understood something of the power and the capacity of Jesus to work in and through all of creation. To see that Jesus had the power to command the wind and the waves. To see the power of God at work in taking control of a situation that they thought was hopeful and making it clear that even in that situation, even in the midst of that storm and in the midst of all its power and ferocity and violence, that storm was still under the authority of the creator, actually, who was in the boat with them. Because without the difficulties and the trials and the stresses, and even perhaps the failures in our own lives, the truth is and the reality is that we would never grow to be what we should or indeed what we could become. The storm was a, was a step up for the disciples, but they didn't know it. They were certain that when, you know, or we can be certain that when each of us have faced um, affliction or, or pain or suffering, whatever that looked like, whatever that, that, that involved, whatever it contained, whenever you look back over your life and you think about those situations that have caused you difficulty or have caused you pain or you've not been sure how it was going to turn out, each one of those situations has created the space for us and the space for you to more clearly understand something deeper and something greater of the God who is in control of all of that stuff and the God who has said, actually, I'm not leaving you in the midst of this and I'm going to actually care for you and I'm going to walk with you through this and you're going to look back. Maybe it might be in 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 
50 years' time, and you're going to say, okay, I didn't understand what was going on right there and then, but see, in the midst of that, I can see that God was working. I could see that he was moving. I could see that he was doing something, and it's only now that I can really understand that. Each one of those situations are the times that we have been afforded an opportunity to more clearly live out and plant the fruit of the Spirit deep in our lives. Do you know where God can, can nurture it and he can watch it grow and he can bring forth good fruit? These are the moments where, where we felt deep and lasting sorrow and that's helped us to be more gentle and patient with others perhaps. These are the, the moments where we've lost our temper and we've overreacted and that has allowed us to practice better self-control. These are the moments when we've faced false accusations or lies and we've had to persevere or perhaps when we've been brought back from the brink in light of some addiction or some health concern or maybe even we've faced a near-death experience. And all of these things have helped us to become more loving, more peaceful, kinder, more gracious, whatever. The things that God calls us to be, it's the afflictions and it's the difficulties and it's the storms in our lives that help us to become the people that God calls us to be. And it's in the midst of these storms that God helps us to grow and to learn more about him. And we recognize, don't we, that it's difficult to see God in the midst of these situations sometimes. I said that just a moment ago. Sometimes it's only upon reflection many years later that we see the way that God is working in our lives. You know, sometimes when we're in the midst of whatever that situation is, we can feel as if God doesn't care, as if he isn't listening. And certainly the disciples felt this also. Do you know, Jesus was asleep, but the disciples went to them, went to Jesus. And we can imagine their panic, can't we? They're waking, they're, they're waking him up. You know, teacher, do you not care if we drown? We're all hanging on here, and you're asleep. And even though the disciples couldn't see it in that moment... Their boat was in the midst of that storm, but actually their boat was the uh, subject of, of minute heavenly attention because to the disciples, Jesus seemed unaware of their plight. And we can feel like that sometimes as well. Do you know, perhaps it's all okay when, we're, when you're managing to keep the plate spinning, you're, you're kind of um, keeping all your juggling balls up in the air and everything's going okay, but then when one comes down, everything else comes crashing down and then all we can see is how bad things are. All we can see is the mess that's been made. Perhaps it feels like it's the end of everything. But in these situations, we need to remember that God has promised us that he knows the rate of our hearts, he knows how many hairs we have in our heads. He knows the minutes of missed sleep. He knows our emotions. He knows our innermost thoughts. And we can almost, almost see the moment that the disciples realize this. One minute they have been terrified, weak in Jesus, afraid for their lives. And the next moment in verse 39, Jesus just gets up and he just rebukes the wind and the waves. At the word of Jesus, it's almost as if these things are just brushed aside. A big hand has kind of come down and just flattened the waves out. And in this moment, the disciples realize Jesus is not just some conjurer of cheap tricks. Instead, actually, all power and all authority belongs to him. 
you know, Paul in the letter to the Colossian church says this. He reminds them that for in him, that is in God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the power of God at work displayed in Jesus' command to that storm. The disciples needed the storm. They needed to experience that storm. They needed to experience what was going on in order to learn more fully how to place their trust in God. They needed their storm to, to open up their eyes to who Jesus really was, to his power and to his authority and to, to all things. And they grew through that experience. The storm was necessary for their development. The storm was necessary for them to become the people that God wanted them to be. But the subsequent calm was necessary as well. Because it was in the midst of the calm that they were able to recognize who Jesus was and what he was about. It was in the midst of the calm that they were able to get some idea that he's more than simply just a, a good teacher. And this is why this passage is so good. Because we see the full range of Jesus' humanity on one hand and his godliness and his divinity on the other. It's all contained in this passage. Do you know, one moment he's exhausted and he's asleep. And the next moment he's commanding the wind and the waves to be silent, and they are. And there are times when we need this to be true for us as well. If it wasn't for the storms that we face in our lives, you know, we wouldn't have the opportunity to grow and to trust you know, in the love and, and, and understanding of God and the ways that he works in our lives. You know, we would remain static. We would remain in, in a kind of spiritual infancy. We would constantly need to be spoon-fed and, and would be unable to apply the fullness of God's word to our lives and to difficult situations that we face. But the challenges and the failures that we face help us to grow and to develop as people of godly character and ambition and expectation. That's the end result. of That's the, 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 the product of what we experience. But then these things need to be paired with that intervening period. Do you know, it'd be no use if you were just facing battle after battle after battle because it's so difficult, we all know this, it's so difficult to, to, to see what the, what, what's happening in the midst of that and the way that God is moving in the midst of all of that. We need times when things are fine, when all things are going kind of relatively well, in order for us to be able to see where God is at work and where he has worked in our lives. Because as I say, if things were, were stormy and chaotic and trying and difficult all the time, then it would be difficult for us to see what God was doing. We'd be like the disciples in the boat. We would just be focused constantly on not drowning. To the point where it would feel as if God had abandoned us. Where it would be, it'd be easy for us to feel as if fear had, you know, we'd be overcome with fear, understandably. But then the reality is that fear is endemic to, to every human situation. Some of us, I think, live in perpetual fear. Many of us who have been living with, with a, prolonged, a prolonged period of, of fear or worry or, or concern or whatever over the past year, maybe some of you have spent large portions of your life, maybe even today, living with that fear and that anxiety that comes just through not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or whatever. And it starts to take its toll. 
But perhaps for some of us, we can't necessarily pin down that kind of fear that we're feeling. It's, it's amorphous and there's no sort of apparent solution. It's just this thing that we experience all the time. And while we can see from our passage today that, that Jesus actually has the power to deliver you and to deliver us with just a word. He has the power to control circumstances and situations with just a, a, a rebuke, you know, enough, be still. And sometimes it's easy, I think, to point to the storms in our lives and to think that we, it's as a result of some failure of our own, some deficiency or some, some poor decision that, that, that we've made in the past. But we see that the, the disciples were in this storm in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, not because of some decision of their, their own, not because of their own failure, but they were in the midst of this storm because they followed Jesus' command. They did the thing that Jesus asked them to do. And sometimes, actually, it's our faithfulness that causes the storms in our lives. Do you know, we only need to look at the book of Daniel and to see his faithfulness and to see what, what he did. And that was the thing that ultimately led to him getting thrown in the lion's den. And I realize and I recognize that you guys here in Claremont Parish Church are right in the midst of a situation where you don't really know what next week or next month or next year is going to look like in terms of your congregational life together. I know that. Other churches around the country and around East Coast are facing the same things. And actually, maybe there's a call for you to be faithful in the midst of whatever storm is coming up. I don't know. But when we find ourselves in the midst of storms, we need to remember that like the disciples, actually, Jesus was in the boat also. They weren't out there on their own. Jesus was right there with them in the boat. And living in our world today, as we do in 2022, living in, in a modern world as, as the people of God, as, as people who are living under God's power and authority, it can sometimes often feel like a boat out in the midst of a storm. But, do you know, when Christ shares that boat with us, do you know, when Jesus is, is with us in the boat, it'll never sink. Because we don't have power or authority to control anything, really. We know that, don't we? We don't really have the power or authority to, 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 to have a say over anything, particularly. Do you know, we, we work in, 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 in the midst of the situations and the circumstances that are often dealt to us. And we try to work God's glory into them. We try to work out what God's doing in them. We try to get on board with his plan. But, but the encouragement for us today, just as we wrap up, the encouragement for us today is that we are held and we are loved by a Savior, actually, who does have all the power. He does have all the power. He does have all the authority. That is the Savior Jesus who controls the wind and the waves. That is the Savior Jesus who squashes them and silences them with a word. That is the Savior who is Jesus who loves and knows each one of us and grants us access to the fullness of the source of all wisdom and power and authority. That is God in heaven. So regardless of how you are feeling today, regardless of how you are feeling about what's going to happen in the future, regardless of what circumstances are going on, whether you're fearful or concerned or worried, as the hymn reminds us, we have an anchor that keeps the soul. And steadfast and sure while the billows roll. We're fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. That's it. And that's the thing that we can hold on to today. So regardless of what happens, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what happens next year, or in five years, or in ten years, 
That is the truth that we can hold on to. Because Jesus is in control and Jesus is in the boat with us. And that's the hymn that we are going to sing in just a wee moment. Okay, let me pray and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll sing again in just a moment. Gracious God, we thank you today that you are in control. We thank you that you're in control, perhaps even in those moments that we cannot see you, perhaps even especially in the moments that we cannot see you. And we ask and we pray today that we would be a people who recognize that sometimes actually the storms that we find ourselves in are not as a result of some failure, or some, some, some shortcoming on our part, some deficiency on our part, but actually sometimes the, failure, the, the storms that we experience are because we are following the call of God. We are following after the path that you have, have set before us. And we ask and we pray today that you would remind us that we do have an anchor that keeps the soul. And that that is stronger than anything, any hand that our world can deal to us. We ask and we pray these things in your name today.